Hey ladies, welcome to the Yas and Amen podcast, where we talk about growing in our faith with biblical truths, real life testimonies, and meditating on God's word. Now I'm your host, Priscilla Dominguez. Let's get it. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Yas and Amen podcast. I'm especially excited every single episode, but I really am around this episode, Why Latinas Loving Jesus Matters, um, because I am Latina. I grew up having female Latina pastors. And this is just something that's very passionate in my heart. But I think that also the church really needs to talk about because um, we can make the world of Christianity, especially in America, very black and white. And there are other people in between. (laughs) Um, And there's actually black people who are Latino, right? Um, And so including myself. So I'm going to introduce um, our guest today, and then we're going to get right into the conversation. But today we have Ariana. And just so you know, all three women they're going to be talking with us today. They are a part of the ministry that they founded called Latinas Loving Jesus. So first we have Ariana, uh, who is a Chicago-raised Latina, nonprofit professional and founder of the online communities Latinas Loving Jesus. She is a program manager at World Vision, which is a humanitarian aid organization that partners with churches in the United States to lift communities all over the world out of poverty. Her work currently focuses on strategies of cultural competency and partner diversification. Outside of work, Ariana coaches women who lead ministries and travels to church conversations where she trains leaders and speaks about cross-generational leadership. Yes. Then we have Lydia. Lydia Lucas is a Puerto Rican Dominican who grew up in Spanish Harlem, NYC. In addition to being a wife and mom to a 25-year-old, 10-year-old, and 5-year-old, and a grandma to a 3-year-old, Lydia serves as a minister at a church in Harlem where she leads women's ministry, an author and chief people officer at City Relief, a Christian nonprofit serving in NYC and New Jersey. Lydia resides in New Jersey with her husband and two sons. And then we have Yvette, who is a Mexican-American daughter of immigrants from the Central Valley of California. She continues to reside in this immigrant farm working community where she works as a third grade teacher. Additionally, she is a writer, speaker, and serves as an executive and teaching pastor in her local church. Yvette is passionate about sharing the gospel, empowering others to embrace their full cultural and spiritual identity as a whole of who God designed them to be. And I'm really excited for these three women. As you see, we have... Well, specifically, Ariana, I didn't mention she is Puerto Rican. So we have a Puerto Rican, we have a Puerto Rican Dominican, we have a Mexican, y'all know I'm Dominican. And so hopefully you'll be hearing and seeing that these different perspectives as we come together, because Latinaism, right, and Latinidad is not a monolith. We don't all sound the same, look the same, and think the same and have the same experiences. So hopefully you get to hear from our different experiences, uh, whether you are Latina or not, I definitely encourage you to listen on this episode, lean in, and really uh, be a part of how how we can see the vision of the church growing as we'd include different voices with intentionality. So, well, welcome, ladies. We have Adi, Lydia, and Yvette here with us. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So glad you're all here. I already introduced y'all, um, but we're going to get right into the conversation. And, you know, we're having this conversation during uh, Latino Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, but this is a year long, a lifelong conversation that we get to have. Right. Because although the world or this country is celebrating in this month, actually, we get kind of like half and half month. I am at. So we get September and October. Um, you know, this is our everyday life. Right. And this has been all of our life. Um, I shared in the intro, like the different backgrounds that we have and come from and even 
even with the diversity on this call, there is still so much diversity in the Latino community, right? We I don't think South America is represented here yet. So being able to really see there's so much uh, story behind all of us and all of our ancestry and story and culture. Um, but today we're going to talk about how it connects to the church, how it connects to the modern church, but how we grew up in also. Um, and just things that we can be thinking about regardless of the race or ethnicity that you come from to be able to engage in these conversations that really matter for um you know the the mod the everyday local church but also the bigger c church that i think um is absent <laughs> of some latino voices and uh, representation so we're going to start with just did you grow up in church right i think always the assumption when you like meet a christian as an adult is like of course they probably grew up in church but it's beautiful to see that not that's not always the case right so did you grow up in church and if you did did you have latinos in your church and how was that like like how was that life you know if you didn't have it how was that but if you did have it how was that experience um this is ariana Yes, I grew up in church. I spent my whole life in church, um, and it was 100% Latino. The community I grew up in in the inner city of Chicago is called Humboldt Park, and at for a long time was one of the highest concentrations of Puerto Ricans in the country. Um, there are actually Puerto Rican flags on the block where we grew up that are steel, and they have, were just this year um, landmarked for the city, so they can't be taken down. Um, and that's where my church was. Mostly our congregation was Puerto Rican. So all of the people I saw doing ministry were Puerto Rican like I was um, with, you know, uh, some Mexican families, Guatemalan families, um, and a couple of African-American spouses, um, two people who were in the community. Uh, but all of my visual, it probably wasn't until I was like 17 that I saw other people preach the gospel outside of us. Um, and then being introduced to the big world is when I realized that not everyone thought that we led churches or that we preached the gospel. For me, it was similar to Ariana. This is Yvette. Um, I also grew up in, for us, it was a church that my parents have been pastoring at for 35 years um, in a very largely um, farm working and immigrant community. And so when we started, my parents had six people in the congregation, including my parents and my brother. Um, so that's how they started. And from that, it was just immigrant families that were coming to the U.S., finding community and finding um, Jesus within that community in our church. And that is the church that has shaped me, has molded me. I always say I grew up around Coritos and Comida every Sunday. Like that's what we did. And so for me, the experience of church, the experience of faith has always been highly, highly influenced by women who prayed for me, women who preached. My dad's first pastor was a woman. And so that was something that I always knew I could. I had permission um, and I had empowerment within my community um, to step into that as well. Before you go, Aleria, I just wanted to let people, for the non-Spanish speaking people, what Coritos and Comida is. So Coritos, yes. I think so much we think of America. It's like there's gospel music and there's CCM. And it's like, hey, y'all in the corner over here, we have Coritos, you know, like, yeah. and, and you know, I would, I mean, I would call it just like, it is Latino um, worship music, but it's just like, it's our version of also culturally, because I mean, some of them sound like merengue, some of them sound like salsa, yeah. cumbia, and stuff like that. So it's very connected to our culture. It's not just ours because it's in Spanish. It's ours because the instruments and the rhythm and the music. And then comida is food, bless food. Yes, I love all of that. Um, <clears throat> I didn't grow up in the church. And so I would go, uh, we did have next door neighbors who would take my brother and I for a, a season of my life to a church. And it was a Spanish Baptist church 
Um, that's what they called it. And we went there on Sundays and were able to go to Christian summer camp, which was more of like an evangelical type of situation. And so I did that for a few years, but my family was Catholic. And so it was like Christmas and Easter type of thing. Um, and then in my later years, um, my mother start, went back to Catholic church and they were having a charismatic movement. And she, from there, had an encounter with God, which is something that, you know, I think when we think about Catholicism, we think that you don't encounter God, that it's dry and, and you know, that it's void of, of God's presence. But she did encounter him. And then from there, she started going to a predominantly Black church. And then in my 20s, that's when I went back. So my, I've really been formed mostly by the Black church. And, and, even being in New York, growing up in New York and living there didn't, wasn't exposed to Latina leadership um, because of my church. And so that's why I love this space. I love that. I didn't know anything, any of that about you. I love, and it goes to our next question about Catholicism. Um, But kind of like my, my story is similar of like my most, I would say Latinos are like born out the womb and it's like, I'm Catholic, right? Like without choice, just like culturally. And I mean, we can connect that even to like people in the South of this country. Like most people are Christian born, just born just because culturally they're in the South, all that stuff. So I think that resonates with like within the Latino community, same kind of context, Um, much different now, I think. But when I was little, I think I knew like one non-Catholic <laughs> that was Latino. Um, But my family was Catholic until um someone invited my mom to a non-Catholic uh, Christian church uh, when I was five and yeah she gave her life to Jesus and it was a different experience and we so I grew up there and I had you know a Peruvian pastor um, a Puerto Rican pastor we also randomly had a Scottish pastor he was like the main pastor but my man knew full-blown Spanish like he was our Latino pastor like he did he's preached in Spanish did worship in Spanish um because we had a Spanish and English service and mainly the English service was mainly African-American and then the Spanish one was mainly like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans but what was cool is that we did outside of the service, we did almost everything else together as a church. Um, it was just these services that were separate for um, the kind of, I guess you could say comfort of being able to worship and hear the word in like your native tongue or the one that you're most comfortable with. Um, but yeah, thinking back, you know, on the Catholicism, like it's just, I mean, mainly because of colonization, right? But there is so much within our culture and our communities that people are Catholic. Um, and we can get into a whole nother conversation another time about theological understanding of Catholicism and all that stuff. But I think because we're so often known as Catholic people, Latinos, um, I think about what what does that look like being a non-Catholic in these families, in these spaces? I know for one of my cousins in DR, she just gave her life to Jesus. She started going to a Pentecostal church like three years ago. And my family is not being nice to her. You know, they are not being kind to her she they're saying like oh i'm evangelica like the, uh, the extremists you know like they're not being very um nice and so i wonder what that experience has been like if you have catholic friends or family um or even just been in spaces with latinos that are catholic um what that has what has been like and what has been like your approach in those conversations i know that uh when my mother made the switch right <laughs> over to the baptist church that she started going to my uncles who are already just think of a Latino uncle who is unfiltered and, you know, always on the edge. <laughs> and so um, for her, it was very much like 
the sense that she was leaving a part of the culture, right? That it was like um, a different understanding of God, right? That it was doing too much. Again, because Catholicism for some people is like, you know, God and you go on the high holy days and, you know, there doesn't need to be much more than that. And so for her, it was that sense of, you know, a little bit of jabs and, and making fun of her. But I will say my brother, uh, and his wife are Catholic now. They still practice Catholicism and, and they're in a more, um, I would say like progressive. I think the Catholic church is making, you know, some headway in areas. And um, for me, I embrace him and I've prayed with my brother and we have an understanding together of who God is, who the Trinity is. And so I think that when you actually speak to your Catholic family, right? When you actually understand where they're coming from and you actually also see the beauty of the belief that they have in God and that they lean on him and that they pray instead of making these wide swept, you just worship the Virgin Mary, right? Um, which is not always the case. It can be a beautiful thing, but yeah, it's an adjustment for sure. I'd say um, too, and I'm so glad that you asked this question, Pri. Like, I think there's, we all have different experiences and there are some just underlying understandings that it helps to combat um, things that feel like closed doors or walls that we've built because of a lack of understanding or experience. Um, my So my parents now are both pastors, but my mother grew up Catholic um, and she'll, and she'll still, she, she converted when I was four. So up until I was four, I went to a week night service with my mom and my grandparents. And then on Sundays, my mom would go to church with my dad, where he grew up since he was young. Um, but then when I was around four or five, she could tell that it was confusing to me for me to learn. And she made the decision to join my father's church permanently um, because she didn't want me to grow up in with conflict of faith. Um, but if you sit and talk to her, she's like, I, I was developed as a believer in Jesus. And I met Jesus as a Catholic young woman. And she even went down the, the process, began the process of becoming a nun. Um, because she, she was, she's a social worker by trade. Um, and if you know some inner city nuns, they do some good, holy work, um, in the hoods of our cities in the United States, at least. Um, so that's what she wanted. That's, that's how she met Jesus and it's how she wanted to serve. So I always grew up with this empathy and understanding that you could also know Jesus if you were Catholic. Um, but as I grew older, probably like 10, 11, because we were Pentecostal, I then had a conflict of my abuela raises me most of the time I'm with her and my abuelo. Um, but all I think about people who don't go to church like me is that they're going to go to hell. And I, I lived with that. It's like, I love her. I don't want that for my abuela, but also my abuela prays. Also, she goes to church like this conflict conflicting messages for me. Um, and I, I think I was just sharing this with Lydia a couple of days ago, is I feel in the last couple of years because of the organization I work for, which is a Christian humanitarian aid org that is the largest um, in the world, it's ecumenical, which means that we engage Christians across the Christian tradition all over the world. Just in the US, our staff represents 63 denominations um, within Christianity. And I feel in the last couple of years because of that, that I've been given this gift back of my grandmother's faith, that I can engage it and think about my faith was formed by her. My faithfulness was also formed by her and she was Catholic. Um, so I no longer have that kind of dividing line between us as 
I know more people in evangelical spaces that don't live up to the integrity standards of the faith than I do people who are Catholic. And I think that's because my exposure has been mostly to the evangelical world. Um, so I can't divide them as people who really serve and people who really don't. Um, and I think too, Kat Admas' book, Abuelita Faith, is really eye-opening and talking about our faith development coming from our grandmothers who are mostly um, Catholic. So there's so much nuance there and so much blessing when you really can take the wall down and share faith with Christians who don't don't worship in the way that you do. I would agree. And you mentioned um, Abuelita Faith in that book as well for me was a realization of the gifts that I had. I read it the year my grandma passed away that the same year. And it was a gift of realizing just how valuable her faith, her Catholic faith for so, so many years formed my dad um, in a way that later he in his 20s um, converted to um, Christianity, evangelicalism. And he all the time says, my grandmother didn't read or write until the day she died. Um, but she had the word hidden in her heart. If we, I remember she would come visit during summers and we would wake up to the sound of her talking, but it was her praying and reading scripture. I mean, saying scripture, um, that she just had memorized. And, I remember my dad over and over telling us like he, she was, you know, she similar to what Lydia said when my dad became a Christian, um, my grandmother wrote him a letter and said from Mexico saying, cause he had told her, he had called her and said, Hey, I give my life to Jesus. I'm changed. And she wrote a letter and said, it's your fat, it's your new church or your family. You need to make a decision. And at her funeral this past year, we were laughing because my aunt was remembering that story. And she's like, Guys, grandma didn't know how to write. She made me write that. And she was passionate, say this, and you need to make sure you say this because she was very, very passionate about what she believed. And later she also converted. But the things that my dad repeats about her the most, the faith lessons that she taught him were things she taught him when she was in the Catholic church, things that she had formed, learned, had revelation from God during her time um, as a Catholic. And so those were the things that he will repeat in his sermons over and over. Those are the things he quotes. And so much like Ariana, I think that formation, um, that encounter, that true devotion that people have cannot be separated um, and defined so clearly like we often want to do. That's really good. I think especially examples that y'all gave of, um, I mean, it's, it's really division, right? It's like, it's the creation of division. And uh, I mean, not to over-spiritualize things, right? But I think, I mean, the enemies, one of the enemies like mission is division. And I think it made me think of other faiths, right? So within Islam, there are different, you can say denominations, right? There's like Shia and Sunni within um, Judaism, same thing within very, a lot of different faiths, there are different quote unquote denominations and, and ideas, right? But we think about this one, we think about Christianity, the truth, faith, the one that worships Jesus in considering that like, there are there are plenty of Catholics who believe in Jesus, who, you know, um, who live out the fruits of the spirit, right? We're thinking about what is a Christian who live out the fruits of the spirit and all that stuff. But I think the assumptions 
of Catholicism, the assumptions of, of evangelicalism, all these assumptions, all of these what stereotypes that we have seen historically, whether it's shown on media. Um, and I mean, not to say either is perfect or either is being fully portrayed wrong, but I think we as, as the body of Christ get to like humble ourselves and be like, I'm going to go beyond what I already assume and know about Catholics and like, just get to know you as a person and what you think about within your faith. Cause when we think, when I hear all of your stories, that's what I, I see an individual and their faith experience with Christ, um, not even specific to the church, you know, or denomination that they belong to. Um, and so that's really powerful because then it also reminds us that um, the church, our ch- our churches should not be defining <laughs> how we are as Christians or our relationship with Christ. Neither should our culture, right? Um, and hopefully, I mean, my prayer is that it's within, especially the Latino community, that we would rise up, the next generation would rise up to be born, right? And not feel that they are anything automatically, but really just come to know Christ or their in whatever faith they choose on their own, right? Um, and to have this respect of what people believe in 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 these different spaces. So we'll we'll see how time time will tell of how that goes. But I think we because of we have such unique intersections in both, I think we get to make an impact um in those spaces. So thinking about spaces, right? Um, especially in America, good old America where we live. Um, <laughs> you know, some of us were talking about how we grew up um in the church. And we were exposed to Latina pastors, um, you know, just that that's what we knew. Like I was outside of my Scottish super white pastor who knew Spanish. Um, I had never had a white pastor before. Um, not even the, the English service um, did not have a white pastor. Um, it mainly was women for the most part. Uh, you know, I know, I know people have different theological frameworks around that, but it was mainly women. And so when I came into the world <laughs> as an adult Christian, I was like, Oh, <laughs> uh, what I grew up with is not is not majority of people's norm. Um, and so when people people don't even would for the most part would say they even know a Latina who is a Bible teacher or a pastor, or they like mentioned that one book <laughs> by a Latina, right? Like people will mention probably like Abuelita Faith, right? Or just like very one off specific uh scenarios or uh situations or examples versus like the reality of so many latina writers bible teachers speakers all this stuff i mean on this screen but also in general in the world so with that in mind right like us living in this world when but then there's also a more mainstream i I guess we could call it mainstream christianity world um what are your thoughts on that like how does that make you feel especially as a Latina, I think already in the world where like, you know, we're already underrepresented, but then it's like within the Christian world in America, very much so. Um, and because of that, do you feel inclined to do anything about it? You know, like, do we feel that we need to take some sort of action? Um, and why do you feel representation isn't even important, is even important within the Christian mainstream world? I think the language that I would use to describe what you're talking about, Pri, is instead of mainstream, I think I would say popular. Um, because it's all about exposure. I so much, I want to say 20 something years ago, right. When I'm a kid in church, there wasn't Christianity that was popular, like exists now. There wasn't social media. There wasn't YouTube. There was no streaming. So very much the function of the church was local. Um, and when you look at, for example, Catholic churches, there are no parking lots, especially in inner cities where there were churches, because the assumption is the people who can walk to this church are the people who are coming here. Um, So now that 
popularity matters, um, at least to some, or resource-wise popularity matters, therein lies the difference, is people over the years have been exposed to churches and pastors that are not local to them, so it's likely that they don't look like them, or sound like them, or come from where they come from, um, and also the local churches upended in so many inner city areas because of gentrification, um, so even that kind of local life is changing, so I think that is a, an important understanding distinction that this is there isn't a we've been a minority or quiet for so long. No, we've been starting churches, founding churches, preaching at churches for as long as churches have existed. And even if you learn um, church history, evangelicalism has been affected and changed and even written by some Latinas in its past. Um, but we wouldn't know them and we wouldn't know their names because they're not what's popular, right, for us to discuss. Um, and as far as like, is it important, is it important to like change kind of that narrative? It, I, I'd say that it's, for me, it's hard because it, it's like, we've already said, I didn't know representation was an issue until I got older. Um, my mother's been preaching since I was seven. I had no clue that the world cared that she was a woman. Um, you know, I just know that she she has a mass. She's got a master's in theology and is a phenomenal preacher um, and can exegete scripture, you know, like no one, no one else. So it wasn't until I was 17, the first time that I was exposed to kind of a white church, I moved to go to an internship program. Um, and out of 98 kids, there were four uh, people of color on the team. And I remember someone asking what I was and saying I was Puerto Rican. And the first thing that I was told was that there had been a Puerto Rican girl who got kicked out for promiscuity a couple of years before of the program. And I understood right away, they think something about me, but all I've ever known about me is that I come from the lineage of pastors. And that's a very hard identity kind of crisis at the intersection with white church and white Christianity. And then years and years of your life and career and university and all of those things. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago when the pandemic shut everything down that it was like, oh yeah, no, we got to do something about this. Because if all people have is who they watch, now there's a problem because we're not rising to the top as people that they should watch. Popular Christianity is going to dictate which churches have a good enough stream and which one sermons get shared on YouTube. Um, in this case now, it's absolutely important because you do have to do strategic work to get a certain type of sermon or preacher in front of people uh, because we have so many options. Not to say that the options are bad, but they've put a lot of work on us as women of color um, when we could have just served in our local church for 40 years and been happy with it. Now we're like, wait, there are Latinas who are looking and they're not finding people like them because they didn't grow up kind of like we did. I think also for me, right, I was looking for this. And so I do think like, how did I, I was in a church or I am in a church, like I said, predominantly black, diverse, right? We're there. There's a couple of, but in terms of leadership um, and Latinas, like I am the Latina preacher in the church, right? And so I guess whoever's there now is experiencing that because of my leadership there. But I was looking for it because there is something to be said for 
just an understanding. That's what I was searching for. I was like, I want somebody who who can understand from a cultural perspective, right? And who I can talk about what it means to be a leader, but then there's these other cultural things that I wanted to be able to relate. And even though the three of us, we have very different backgrounds, even though we are all Latina and we love finding out new things about each other in that way. But I think that even there are women, and this is what we have found in Latinas Loving Jesus, is that there are women who are in predominantly white areas of the United States, right, who just want to hear the word, right, and a relationship with God from the vantage point of someone who culturally they can relate to. There's something sweet about it. It's not the end all be all, you know, at the end of the day, you will still have your relationship with God, but there is a sweetness and a richness for our people that comes from hearing it from that perspective. And I think that there's a benefit to people who are not from our backgrounds to hear it from different voices and different vantage points. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where we have even landed as what do we do about it? Do we do anything about it? We knew it was important. We knew even in our friendship before we started Latinas Loving Jesus, um, there was this foundation of friendship where these conversations happened, where we talked through these things and we realized, yes, we need it. Um, yes, it's important. What are we going to do about it? We're not going to wait for somebody to invite us um, because we've already been doing this work. We've already been serving our communities, our churches, our families. We've been leading. And for those who are looking, we will create. We've said this. We, you know, we often say the table. We're gonna, we don't, we're Latinas. We aren't building a table. We're building a holding house, like a whole casa with a sala and a cocina and the whole thing. And we want everyone to come in truly believing that Latinas in leadership. Latinas in ministry are good for the entire body of Christ, not just for other Latinas, which it is important, just as Lydia said, because sometimes it's that need, right? You want to connect with somebody who understands you, but also we're good for the whole body, just like our Black sisters are good for the whole body. Our Asian sisters voice and leadership is good for the whole body. I remember years ago when I first started listening to podcasts, there were like five out there and there was one I was listening to. And it was a very renowned speaker and she had a panel of women on and we would all know all their names and they were having this conversation and she was leading and said, I've been thinking about something. I'm just wondering where are our sisters, our Latina sisters? Can any of you tell me and asked for who do you know? I've been, you know, moved and kind of just questioning, like, where are they? And I remember listening to that. And I always listen to things while I'm doing something else. Right. So I was like cleaning or something. I just remember stopping like, wait, what, where are the Latinas? And this conversation was like, I, no one had answers. No one could say a name besides maybe one or two names that came up. And that was the moment, you know, we've all talked about the moment we realized, like, I didn't know that this was a problem. And I will never forget. That's the first moment I realized, oh, you guys don't know. It's not that we're not out here. You just don't know that we have been out here. So is it important? Absolutely. But also we're going to continue to do the work, whether or not, as Ariana said, popular culture um, catches on quickly or not, we will build houses. We will send out the invitation. We will continue to lead and welcome people in believing. Um, and we say this often that someone is waiting to be led and loved by Latinas like us. 
Um, we've all been marked by Latinas who loved and led us well. And we get to have the honor to carry that mantle um, to others who are who are waiting for that. Amen. Amen. All the things, y'all. Yes, to all of that. Um, for uh, It's interesting because for me, when I realized representation was really needed and missing, um, it wasn't on stage. It wasn't through not seeing a, a speaker. It was that I worked at a church and we were planning uh, the fall, uh, the winter. And, you know, they said we're going to have a Christmas Eve service at seven o'clock. And I was like, but that's Noche Buena. Like, you gonna make me work? Like I'm gonna be with my family, and they're like, "What's Noche Buena?" I'm like, "Bro, it's Christmas." Like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's, it's Christmas, and then they literally just could not get why I don't celebrate Christmas Day and why I couldn't come. And I went to work that day. I, I there was it was a very toxic place, so it's, it was like an ultimatum kind of situation. And my, I remember trying to explain to my mom why I cannot be at Noche Buena dinner that day that year. And Christmas is like. You cannot have an excuse in my family to not come to Christmas Eve dinner, um, like none, even if you're sick. Um, and, you know, I it hit me. I was just like, y'all don't even need a Latina pastor. You need to know your community because <laughs> I wasn't I was the I was a staff and there was maybe like two other Latinos. But our church, I mean, this was a white person. Our church was like, I'm going to say like 60 to 65 percent. Um, people of color and like half of that were Latinos so I'm just like you know, you know a third of the church is not coming to the service right um, and maybe more because they're traveling to other places because they're not from New York but it was just it was that moment that made me realize representation matters just in the, even more so in the sense of you need to know <laughs> it's it's also about knowing the culture you could be a white you could be my white pastor it's fine if that's my only option that's cool bro I, i'm sure i could learn plenty of things from you right but you don't know that your community celebrates christmas eve and that maybe a 12 or 2 p.m service would be more ideal because they have dinner as a family but no you're just not down with that and that's when i was just like oh like y'all literally have not taken time to know the culture um and and I think about the Bible, you know, there's not really races in the Bible. It's just ethnicities. And so we think about all these ethnicities had these cultures and experiences. They were respected so much. They were taken seriously so much. And I think we missed that. I think we missed that in the American church when it comes to any and all um, communities and spaces, right? Of just like really like representation is also about knowledge and being able to understand what is needed and what is best to serve the community and also celebrate the community like right like what if they made that day about Noche Buena like the service right so that's when I realized I was like we need to get it together because you're not gonna make me work right <laughs> like and not just because I don't want to but it's because like no it, this is Noche Buena this is my family like you can I, I'll work on the 25th I don't do a, a thing on the 25th but you know the 24th for us is very important then I I think also mentioned to him Tres Reyes Day and he was just like what is that <laughs> and like so you know and I mean for I think in America it's like the day of epiphany or something like that or not america but just like american church english speaking and so it's just so interesting how just some things are not known and the funny fact about all of this and maybe it's not funny is that he was a pastor who came from miami so he grew up around latinos all of his life and he did not know that they celebrate noche buena so that's also and that's why i think people always say oh proximity proximity is not the solution because people can be surrounded by somebody and people and not know a thing, right? So it's all about intentionality and, and doing the things and doing the work. I think I love that. Proximity is not the solution. Relationship is the solution. Knowing 
is the solution, a deep knowing and understanding, because that's what you're talking about of knowing your congregation and being near them isn't enough. It's also kind of what Evie alluded to earlier um, in that, yeah, I want this for Latinas, but the world would be better if they knew Latinas who were leaders as well. If God is big and beautiful and we cannot comprehend him, then parts of him are represented in special groups of people. And I think there's nothing like the hospitality of the Latina there's nothing like the welcoming of the Latina. That's why we talk about building a casita, you know, for our women, um, because that's what we do. That's what we welcome. That's a, that's a characteristic and a part of God who is creative and almighty. Um, wouldn't the world, wouldn't our workplaces, wouldn't our families, wouldn't our communities, wouldn't our churches be better if they knew the hospitality of God? And I have to say, I know 10 Latinas who could show you what that's like. Um, and that those same things are represented in different ways in other cultures and we're never going to know God if we don't know each other that's right that is so right people would always say oh pre you have the gift of organization no y'all my mom taught me how to invite people to my house and treat them well and give them coffee right like <laughs> and and it ends up being organized in some way right but it, it there is so much to learn from people's um culture but also upbringing in those ways so Yes, not proximity, relationship. Um, so to shift a little bit, you know, I shared in the intro with y'all, I shared um, that y'all have founded Latinas Loving Jesus, a beautiful and amazing ministry. And obviously we're talking about this in this conversation. So want to hear just more about y'all, the Latinas Loving Jesus um, ministry, the vision kind of behind it and what you, what why you started and what you hope for it to become um, throughout time, because I think it's, it's very unique and it's very needed. So yeah. I'll start with the yeah I was start with our story because yeah. it starts with like a yeah. friend story <laughs> mm -hmm. um I'll I probably had this like epiphany of like where the heck are the other Latinas online um years ago so I started the hashtag Latinas loving Jesus um and I wrote a couple of posts that got shared a little bit um and was like tag other Latinas you know Christian Latinas in the comments because we're like desperate to know each other and that slowly built kind of a a little bit of a community just with that is putting that call out um and then a couple of years ago Yvette and Lydia had a cafe over zoom and, and as much as the pandemic has been horrible for the world in so many ways, it did make a Zoom cafe not weird. It did make it okay to ask someone to cafe over Zoom. Um, and Yvette and Lydia have a cafe and someone, I think it was Yvette that posted on Insta stories that she had cafe with Lydia on Zoom. And I knew them from Instagram, just like from like following them. And I replied to her story like, man, invite me to cafe next time. Like I want to, I'm jealous. I want to have cafe with you guys. And apparently they, in their conversation had said, we should invite Ariana next time. And I didn't know that when I replied and kind of invited myself. Um, and then we had a zoom all together, the three of us. And I think it may have taken 12 minutes before a couple of us were crying and in tears, just kind of telling our stories. We were on Zoom for, I want to say like five hours, um, just talking in that first one and prayed over each other that first night. Um, it was just like, these are the friends that I've been logging for, like for years and years. Um, and all agreed that we knew that our friendship was special, but we had no idea kind of what, what it was going to turn into after that, if someone wants to pick up there. 
Yeah. So it, it, as you said that, I'm like, that's like that really good first date that, you know, is going to be like, that's how it started. We talked all night long and then happily ever after. <laughs> Not that I've had that date, but you know, I hear that date. Um, but yeah. So from that, um, it was about, I want to say eight or nine months of just building friendship. Um, all we did was have these type of conversations. We had the testimony conversation. Absolutely. But like, what do you love about the church? What has changed you? What makes you uncomfortable? What makes you mad? Like, what are the things that God has placed on your heart? And not it, we never came into this thinking we're going to start something. We're going to build something. It was just solidifying building that friendship. And I remember one day, maybe eight, nine months into it, we were all something had happened. I don't, it was the Holy spirit. Uh, but we were all in just this very uncomfortable place. Like, this is not okay anymore. Going back even to the question that you posed earlier, like, is it okay? What do you do about it? And we felt this invitation, this incitation from the Holy Spirit of like inciting us to do something. And it was, I remember it was a Friday, we were texting each other and we we're like, you know what, tomorrow morning, we need to just get on a call and talk about it. What does this mean? What do we need to do? And you know, Ariana had already started the hashtag Latinas Loving Jesus. And so we're like, well, we need a name. And she's like, well, I, I have this name. Um, we've been hashtagging this. We've already been finding other women through this. And it was with that idea, right? We wanted, you know, a lot of times we're looking for something. Um, we're praying for something. We're desiring something. And at times the Lord leads us to it. And there are other times where the Lord says it's on you. Um, you, de you're desiring it, you're praying for it, you're looking for it, build it. And we felt that all three of us very, very heavily of God, just inviting us to build with him, um, to come alongside what he was already stirring up in so many women and just partner with God. Um, I say this often, but I believe it deeply that the whole, that everything that God did in the word besides creation, he used an, a man or a woman who was willing and available. And it's not the same thing to be willing and available. I could be available, but I'm not willing. I I have the time, I have the gift, I have the calling, but I find excuses. Um, and I think in the three of us, we were in the place of God, we are willing and available. We don't know what this looks like. We have very busy lives. We all have full-time jobs and families and things that God has called us to locally in our communities. But we do have, we have felt this invitation from God to partner with, as we said earlier, just building this house, um, building this casa for women, and also inviting the larger church to see what it looks like to see Latinas who are loving and leading um, for Jesus. And I think in terms of, right, what does that mean? How do we walk this out? Uh, so many times we would be having conversations and say, this is a conversation that, you know, we should have on a broader, on a broader scale. And even when we first started, we started on Clubhouse if anyone even still goes to Clubhouse, but that's where we started on Clubhouse and having women who would just come in the room and speak and share. And it, and it's Jesus, but it's Jesus in like, how do we live our lives out, right? Where, how do we um, fully embrace our Latinidad? Because there are many of us who feel that we have had to water ourselves down in order to be, you know, to function in this society, in our churches. And so it's not just 
it's for Latinas, but it's also for women who want to learn about Latinidad, women who want to hear that perspective. So it's conversations, it's encouragement, it's always rooted in how do we live fully and vibrantly for God's glory. And that's really what our space is. Yes, I love that. I absolutely love um this ministry. And I think I love how you close in Lydia and saying that it's like for God, how we live fully in God's glory, for God's glory. And I think so much of that is knowing ourselves and embracing ourselves and and, and celebrating how God made us uniquely. Um, because he was intentional, right? With making these different he could have made everyone one color <laughs> with one hair type with look all the same you know but he had such intentionality and purpose with in including culture with how we grow spiritually right and how we connect to him in many ways so um i just love that and i, I support latinas loving jesus so much um and if y'all don't follow them already follow them on instagram um so we're going to close but if y'all could share where the people could find you whether on the gram or other things and places Yes. Um, follow us on Instagram. Absolutely. Uh, but also we have a website, latinaslovingjesus.com. Um, sign up for our newsletter that goes out monthly. There's also a survey on our website um, that you click into just a couple of minutes. It's been really beautiful to kind of be able to see who's following us, what age groups, what countries are represented. Um, it's just so cool to see the breadth of Latinas that are, are following along and participate in the community. Um, on Instagram, I am with Ariana Rivera, um, and kind of everything is in that hub. I also have my website with this, with Ariana Rivera, um, dot com. Um, I am Lydia Lucas on Instagram. And you can find me underscore simply Yvette on Instagram as well. And you can find my website there. And that's the only place I hang out is Instagram. <laughs> I feel you, girl. I can't handle the, I mean, I mean, apparently no. people are leaving Twitter anyway, so I'm glad I never went, but all the things, all the things. I remember y'all being on Clubhouse and I remember I would see it and other things and I was just like, I just, can't, I can't, I can't download another app or I, <laughs> it was, it was so much, but I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, y'all also share um, on Instagram and y'all have, y'all have lives um, weekly and you save them on your page too, which are really rich and good conversations. Um, so yeah, thank you for this conversation, y'all. I think um, hopefully, you know, bless everyone that heard it and really considering what this looks like um at for latinas but also when when thinking about this is like what does this look like for asian people who um love jesus you know african-americans africans who are not african-americans you know i don't know people from antarctica like there's there's people beyond white people love my white brothers and sisters y'all but there are people beyond them and america is beyond just white and black the white and black church it is so diverse um and the body of christ itself is so diverse and that is one of the most beautiful things i think of the faith that god invite it's like no matter where you come from no matter what culture and so that means also within our our community within the uh, the body of christ that means there's so many different colors and experiences that we get to engage with right through relationship not just proximity not just um watching a documentary <laughs> you know not just reading a book but through relationship through intentional um engagement um, with one another. So thank you again for the time uh, to chat about this. Y'all, I pray that conversation blessed you and that you're able to apply something you either learned or heard to your continued growth on your faith journey. I invite you to study more on the scriptures we talked about on this episode and don't let any conviction you experience go without prayer and action. Share any thoughts or testimonies you may have by leaving us a rate or review and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. 
Meet us next time for another episode. And if you don't already, follow us on Instagram following at PD or at we.r.fool to learn more about our growing community and get connected with us.